Matthew 27, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do today, as we're uh, just continuing kind of as a short series leading up toward uh, Palm Sunday and Easter uh, as we look at some characters of the crucifixion. I don't know if if any of you were uh, 24 fans back in the day when 24 was on uh, TV, that that TV series, uh, the central character of Jack Bauer. And I I didn't get in from the very beginning, but I, I was hearing all these guys talking about 24 and so I, I like tuned in one season and then I became an addict like like almost uh, everybody else that started watching it and so eventually I had to go back and try to find the first season or two to kind of figure out what what was going on there was an interesting thing in the very first uh, season uh, the the main character Jack Bauer he he has turned in some uh, federal agents for bribery and uh, because he was the whistleblower, that didn't make him a very popular person. And he had a lot of folks coming down on him, including his immediate supervisor and boss. And one time he had just read him the riot act. And afterwards, uh, Jack was talking with his partner, and he, he said these words that I, I think are instructive. He said, you can look the other way once, and it's no big deal except it makes it easier for you to compromise the next time. And pretty soon, that's all you're doing, compromising, because that's how you think things are done. You, uh, you know those guys I blew the whistle on? You think they were bad guys? They weren't bad guys. They were just like you and me, except they compromised once. Pretty powerful words from a TV drama. Compromise. It's certainly appropriate in uh, a marriage relationship and a friendship at perhaps business or political negotiations. But when it comes to issues of character, there really is no room for compromise. Character has been defined as that which is determined by the courage of your convictions. And as we look at some of the characters of the crucifixion, I want us to look at the character of Pontius Pilate. And what we find in in Pilate's life in this episode we're going to look at out of his life is that this is a man that that, that in in a moment of crisis, instead of displaying courage of convictions, actually displayed an unhealthy compromise. And that compromise uh, was was part of a process, a process that that led him on this slide toward compromise. And, And what my hope is, is that in looking at his life, and particularly this episode, we might learn some things that would speak into our lives, perhaps as words of warning or even needed correction today about the potential slide toward compromise in our own lives. Well, let's, let's just get a little background before we dive into the text uh, and the lessons themselves. Pilate was the, the governor or the procurator of this area called Judea in, under the Roman rule from about AD 26 to 36, so that, that window of time when he would have been uh, there at, during the crucifixion of Jesus. He was not well-liked by the Jewish people at all, 
Uh, and not just because, one, he was a Roman authority in their land, so that wasn't going to make him popular, but just also the way that he exercised uh, his authority and his position. He's mentioned uh, at least one other time in the New Testament, and that time gives us a glimpse into maybe the way that he ruled and handled problems as well, Luke 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So what, I don't know all the situation here, but the word had come to Jesus that Pilate had obviously had some of these folks killed even in the midst of sacrificing, and so he, he could be ruthless when he needed to. The Scripture talks about a series of trials, some of them under kind of Jewish authorities we'll look at next week, but there was kind of a series of three trials that happened uh, as Jesus is turned over to the Roman authorities, and you can kind of see those unfolding in Luke 23. But what we're going to focus on is is one part of that in Matthew 27, and we'll also draw some things out of the other Gospels that will hopefully speak into it. So six quick lessons this morning about Pilate's slide toward compromise that may speak into all of our lives. The first is simply this. It began unexpectedly. This slide began unexpectedly. Look at the first two verses of Matthew 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Now, uh, please understand, Pilate got up and he did not have on his to-do list try Jesus today. That was nowhere on his agenda. It wasn't on his radar. He did not expect to have to deal with a situation like this on that day. He had no prior warning. And very often the things that will come into our lives that test our character, that test the certainty of our courage and convictions come unannounced. They come unexpectedly. Said another way, life offers us oftentimes a series of pop quizzes that test our character, right? And you remember in school pop quizzes, right? Those were the ones that you didn't have forewarning on. It wasn't the regularly scheduled vocabulary test every Friday or whatever. Now, this is one that you walked in and the teacher said, take out your uh, pen and paper or whatever it was, and, and here are the questions, right? What was it? It was a pop test. It was unexpected. Have you been doing your reading? Have you been doing the assignments? Have you been staying up? Have you been learning what you're supposed to learn? And so this pop quiz to kind of test, have you been paying attention? Have you been staying up? And you think, well, I'm out of school. No more pop quizzes. Wrong. Life keeps handing us pop quizzes. Pop quizzes that test our character, that test the character of our life. I had read one time, and I think it's absolutely true. It's not all that difficult to act like a Christian. The challenge is to react like one. That when things are going good in our lives, you know, there's money in the bank account, our health is good, relationships good. It's not all that difficult to behave outwardly in ways that appear to be Christian, that appear to be good and nice and right and proper. That's not that hard. But when the pressure's on, when things are squeezing you, 
When life gives you a pop quiz, how do you react? How do you respond? For many years, I've been, been talking about it this way. It's like a tube of toothpaste, right? You squeeze it, and what's on the inside comes to the outside. And that's what pop quizzes do in our life. They squeeze us. And when we get squeezed, what's on the inside comes and shows up on the outside. This slide toward compromise began unexpectedly. He wasn't expecting to have to deal with this today. And it may be that the the battles that you fight aren't on your to-do list this week. But there will be a pop quiz that will be delivered to your life. And in that pop quiz, you're going to have to wrestle with issues of character, courage, and convictions. But not only did it begin unexpectedly, but but it started on the inside. It involved an internal struggle. Before it was what was happening out here, it was what was happening in here. Let me just kind of walk you through some of these passages from Luke's gospel and the other gospels to give you a sense of what was going on internally with Pilate. Then Pilate said to the chief priest, they show up with Jesus, we want you to take care of him. Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. He's examined him, no guilt at all. A few verses later in that same chapter of Luke 23. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. As he's he's been doing this, as he's been examining, it seems pretty clear Jesus is innocent. He is not guilty of anything deserving death. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. What's going on? No guilt, but pressure from the crowd. So Mark's gospel gives us some more insight. So Pilate, now look at this next phrase, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What's going on? Internally, Pilate's just processing this. This guy is not guilty. It's envy. It's, it's internal politics. It's, it's nothing deserving death. It's nothing deserving punishment. This is ridiculous. But then he's feeling the pressure from the crowd. He's feeling the, this influential uh, group. He's feeling the potential of rioting and disruption in the streets and all of these things. And so uh, inside, he's, he's wrestling with these. He's weighing these things. I, do I, what do I do with an innocent man versus how do I appease the crowd? How do I kind of keep things going along? How do I get through this festival season without a riot erupting? And so there is this internal battle. And there's an internal struggle in all of our lives long before anything shows up on the outside. Battles for our character are fought on the inside before they become apparent on the outside. By the time something shows up on the outside, things have been going on, battles have been fought on the inside, oftentimes for a very long time. 
And that's why it is essential that we pay attention not just to what's happening on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. What's taking place inside of us because that's the first front. That is where slides toward compromise always begin. It's an internal struggle long before it ever shows up as an external one. Inside before the outside. The third lesson that we can learn is that a slide toward compromise cannot be avoided by trying to pass the buck. It cannot be avoided by trying to pass the buck. Uh, Pilate had this, this dilemma, this thing he didn't want, didn't ask for, and he thought, well, maybe one way to get out of it is to have somebody else make this decision. Somebody else be responsible for the decision. And so first of all, as you compare the Gospels, you'd find he tried to pass it off to Herod. Luke 23 tells us this. He's examining him, doesn't find Jesus guilty, but in the, in the course of the discussion, he finds out that Jesus has roots in Galilee. And he says, aha, my escape. I'm going to ship him off to Herod because that's Herod's jurisdiction, and I'll let Herod deal with that. That way, I won't have to make the hard call. And so he ships him off to Herod. Herod is delighted to, to talk with him for a while. He finds some amusement in that, but ultimately, he ships him back to Pilate. Herod says, I'm not taking this on. I'm not, I'm not holding this for you. Pilate, this is yours. But not only did he try to pass it off to Herod, but he actually even eventually turned around and tried to pass the buck to the crowd. He tried to get this crowd to be the one who ultimately would make the decision. Let me just read and invite you to follow along. Still there in Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 and following. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said, again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. What was he doing? He was trying to pass the buck. See if Herod will make the decision for me. Herod wasn't going to do it. Well, then I'll, I'll set this up before the crowd, Barabbas or Jesus, and surely they'll, they'll kind of give in at this point, and they'll, they'll not want this guy to go free, and so they'll, they'll cut Jesus loose. But no, they didn't choose and so he was stuck again. See, here's the thing. There are many, many people who have convictions for which he wants somebody else to supply the courage. 
They say, I have this conviction, I have this this principle, I have this belief, but when push comes to shove, they want somebody else to supply the courage. And that's what was going on with Pilate. He had this conviction. He knew that Jesus was not guilty, not deserving of death, but he was needing somebody else to supply the courage. And Herod wouldn't do it, and the crowd wouldn't do it. And by the way, You can't pass the buck when it comes to an issue of character. You can't. Ultimately, even if he wanted to blame the crowd, even if he wanted to blame Herod, the decision was his. He had the power. He had the authority to decide who would or wouldn't be punished and crucified. It was his. It was ultimately on him, no matter how how much he tried to, to spread that blame out. It was ultimately on him. Now, I want to just speak into this, and I'm going to give you two truths that uh, maybe at first will seem contradictory, but they're, they're actually parallel. And the first truth is simply this. Sometimes you have to stand alone. Sometimes you have to stand alone. And for Pilate, this was one of those times, one of those times where he wasn't going to get Herod to do it for him. The crowd wasn't necessarily going to support him in the right decision. He was going to have to stand alone. And in these moments, his character was on display because he could respond with the courage of his convictions. But instead of responding with courage, he responded with compromise. Sometimes... You have to stand alone. There may be some of you in here this morning that right now you're in the middle of a situation where God is calling you to stand alone. To stand alone. I'm not talking about an issue of of personal preference or taste. I'm talking about uh, about core uh, moral biblical principles. God is calling you to stand alone. And if that's where he has you, you're going to have to stand firm. Nobody else is going to be able to provide you the courage for your convictions on that day. For some of you, before this week is done, God's going to deliver a pop quiz into your life. And you're going to have to be willing to stand alone. But here's the parallel truth. And that is, sometimes it is foolish to stand alone. Sometimes it's foolish to stand alone alone. So Jeff, what do you mean? There, there are areas in all of our lives where if we, if we become aware of who we are, we become aware of our, our tendencies, we become aware maybe of our, our history or whatever, we realize there are certain situations, there are certain circumstances, there are certain temptations, there are certain areas in my life where I am mo- more prone to compromise than others, where I am more prone to get along, just to, to you know, go along to get along here. And so I need, I need support. I need encouragement. I need somebody to come alongside me to help when that takes place. That's the genius of programs like AA or others along the way. They realize there are areas in all of our lives where it is foolish for us to stand alone. That we need somebody in our life that we can call up and say, in this moment, I need you. I need help. 
I need somebody to help me think through this. I need somebody to stand with me as I stand in the face of this. I need somebody to just come along and be with me until this passes. There may be some people that they need you to be that one who comes alongside in their life. There may be some people that you need to reach out to to come alongside you in certain areas of your life. That's part of what it means to be of the body of Christ. Sometimes it's foolish to stand alone because God says, I've given you a family. I've given you brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't stand alone. Stand in the strength of the body of Christ. Sometimes God will put you in that position where you have to stand alone. But sometimes it's foolish to stand alone. And in those times, you need to understand, who can I reach out to? Not to do it for me, but to come alongside and do it with me. Who are those people in your life? Fourth lesson on this slide toward compromise is that it involved the ignoring the good counsel of others. It involved ignoring the good counsel of others. I I don't know if you noticed it when we just read through that just a moment ago, but back up to verse 19. As Pilate's weighing this, he's got this internal struggle. He's going to have to make an external decision as he's trying to pass the buck to Herod and trying to pass the buck to the crowd. A word comes from his wife. It comes from his spouse. Besides, verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Let let me tell you about God's grace. God in grace will very, very, very often send people into our lives who can serve as a guiding light or a warning shot. In in those moments where, where our character is being tested, where we're, we're tempted toward compromise. God very often sends someone across our path, and maybe that person just comes and they give us wise counsel. Sometimes they don't even know they're doing it. They're just sharing something out of their life, and, and God's Spirit just, uh, just kind of you know, tap, tap, tap. This is for you. This is for you. Pay attention to this one, right? Sometimes they just feel a prompting of God's Spirit. And with courage, they speak into your life. And you have to decide, what am I going to do with that? It is a mark of God's grace when he sends some of those people across the pathways of our life. I just can tell you, after walking alongside folks for a number of years, I have been blessed to have folks that have spoken and I've by God's grace, recognized it was God and made adjustments. I have times I've blown through that foolishly. On the other end of that, some of the greatest heartbreaks at times have been when you knew God was prompting you to speak a word to someone. And quite honestly, with people-pleasing tendencies, sometimes I don't want to do that. But you say, yes, Lord, and you speak into a life. And sometimes I have watched with with a broken heart as they just ignore that 
and they continue down a pathway that brings harm and destruction into their lives. It may be that for some of you here, God has sent or will even this week send someone across the path of your life to be a guiding light or to fire a warning shot. Don't ignore that. Don't blow that off. Yes, exercise spirit-guided discernment, but don't blow that off. One of the more tragic examples of that uh, comes from the Old Testament, King David, 2 Samuel. Just to remember the setting for some of us. David is described as a man after God's own heart. I mean, he, he has walked with God through some incredible trying times. His, his character has been tested. He has, he has served well. He has walked faithfully. And, and it's taken years, but there's been a payoff in his life. And, and now he's ascended. He, he's, at the, he's the king. He has power. He has influence. He's reaping so many benefits because of his life in integri- of integrity up to this point. And then he comes to this crucial moment at kind of this zenith of his power in life. When instead of going off to war, he stays behind. And he finds himself on a rooftop. And his eyes notice a young woman. And instead of turning, he lingers. And then the internal dialogue begins. I'm the king. I've been faithful. I've sacrificed. I've served. I deserve. I deserve. And so he kind of gets the trial balloon going. He inquires about this young woman. And there in 2 Samuel eleven three, there's this courageous servant who dares to mention that which he probably knows the king doesn't want to hear, which is always a hazardous thing for a servant to do, right? Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David! Boom! Warning shot. This is not somebody to be used. This is not someone to satisfy your lust. This is someone's daughter. This is someone's wife. David, don't go there. But David blew past the warning shot. And opened up a series of events that he would suffer the consequences of those all the rest of the days of his life. Because he ignored the good counsel of another. Could it be that God is sending somebody across your path as either a guiding light or a warning shot? Could it be that God wants to use you this week? as that person to speak into somebody else's life. 
The slide toward compromise continued as he ignored the good counsel of others. Fifth lesson, small steps lead to a bigger slide. Small steps lead to a bigger slide. Let's pop over to John's gospel. We have it in your note-taking guide, the 19th chapter. Then Pilate, this is all part of this same episode of this trial of Jesus. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold, the man. What is he doing? He's taking a first small step. He knows he's not guilty. He said it there again. But to kind of not go all the way toward death and crucifixion, he says, I'll take a small step, a a first small compromise. I will have an innocent man beaten, flogged, and this is a horrible thing. His back is ripped open and he's bleeding. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They mock him. And then they bring him out to kind of taunt him before the whole crowd. Behold the man. Surely that's as far as Pilate will have to go. Surely this step is sufficient and no other compromise will be required. But that's not the way it works. This small step was just the first step toward the slide of compromise. In taking this step, he set himself up to take the next steps that would lead to the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, our present choices always determine our future character. When we do something in the present, it's not just about the present, but it's also about the future. Our present choices determine our future character. When you compromise in a small step, when you compromise on something that you know that you shouldn't, even though it doesn't seem like that big a deal, it doesn't seem like that important of a thing, it becomes that which makes it easier to compromise in the future. What is it that Jack Bauer said? They were just like you and me, except... They compromised once. They compromised once. That small step became part of the progression that led to a bigger slide. There are times that we deceive ourselves by saying, I'll just take this small step. I'll just do this little thing. I'll just just compromise this small moral principle. But present choices determine future character. A small compromise in the present sets us up for bigger compromises in the future. And that leads us to the last lesson that I want us to see. And that is that declaring one's innocence doesn't make you innocent. Declaring one's innocence doesn't make you innocent. Back to Matthew 27, verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. 
And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. In this symbolic act, he's washing his hands saying, See, I'm clean. I'm innocent. I I am not guilty in this. But he can declare that all day long. But the reality is he was responsible. He was accountable. He was guilty. Because he had the power. He had the authority to stop this thing from happening. Yes, there might have been consequences whichever way he chose Yes, there could have been unrest. Yes, perhaps even a riot. But he had the authority. He had the military. He had the forces to squelch a riot if that's what it came to. No matter how many times he washed his hands, he was still accountable. There are times when in our rush to the slide of compromise, we declare ourselves innocent. Well, I couldn't have done anything else. Well, given the situation, given the circumstance, everybody else was doing it. It's just the way things are done. It's not that big a deal. Declaring oneself, declaring one's innocence doesn't make you innocent. Jesus, interestingly enough, was not really the one on trial that day. Pilate was really on trial before Jesus It appeared that Pilate was the one with all the power and authority, but as Jesus reminded him in the dialogue, you can read it in the the, the gospel accounts, he was just entrusted to that by God. The, The real person on trial in this moment wasn't Jesus, it was Pilate. His character was on trial. His character was being tested. And he could declare his innocence all day long, but that didn't make him innocent you and i may be tempted to spin it any which way to make us look innocent the reality is before a holy god the truth is known and we may not be so innocent after all so trying to put these pieces together let me give you this statement If God controls the inner man, the world cannot control the outer man. If God is in control of the the inner man, the inner woman, if God is in control of us, if Christ is rightfully on the throne of our lives, if our greatest fear is a a reverential fear of a holy God, then we will not fear men. If, if we are truly in that right relationship with God where we are submitted to his authority, we are surrendered to his sovereignty, if God controls the inner man, then the world around us, the circumstances around us, the pressure around us cannot control the outer man. What became evident in Pilate's slide toward compromise is that God did not control the inner man. That's why the world did control the outer man. That's the negative example. Let me give you a positive biblical example. Some of my Old Testament heroes, tucked away in the book of Daniel. Many of you perhaps are familiar with these guys. Daniel, of course, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And some of you may or may not be familiar with their story. They were of, of Jewish heritage. They were deported in, in a conquering wave, and they were, were taken to Babylon. And they were recognized having some potential, and so they were put into this government service, and they were to go through this training program. And that training program began at first with, with certain foods that they were called upon to eat. The problem was that from, from a Jewish dietary perspective, they couldn't eat all of those foods. Now, at that point, you may be thinking what a lot of the other Jewish young men pressed into service thought. This isn't that big a deal. I mean, when in Babylon, you do like the Babylonians, right? You just go along so that you can get along. But these guys said, no, 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 no. It's a command of God, and therefore it's important. And so they refused to eat some of the king's food. In fact, is they even negotiated with the guy, let us, let us eat according to these Jewish dietary regulations, and then you check us out after so many days to see how we look and that's what they did and God honored their obedience and their countenance and their body uh, looked evidence of their dietary choices and so they were allowed to continue to walk in that way you say what's the big deal about that because small steps remember present choices determine some future choices future destiny so later on years later Three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in this position of, of governmental authority. This, this, this king comes to power and he says, hey, I'm going to build this idol. And most commentators felt like that idol strangely probably looked a whole lot like him. And everybody was to bow down before that. And anybody that didn't was going to die. The problem is, as, as, as one of God's Hebrew people, they were not allowed to bow down before any idol or any image. And so these three guys refused. They called Abed and said, you don't understand. Let me make it clear to you. If you don't bow down, you die. We throw you into the furnace, you're finished. No government pension. No more good life. You're done. No more security. Finished. We understand. We understand, and our God is able to deliver us, but King, even if he doesn't, we're not going to disobey him. We're not going to bow down. How are they able to do that in that moment? Because they had been doing it in the little moments all along the way. And you can read the rest of the story in Daniel. They do get thrown into the furnace, but God miraculously rescues them. And God is honored because of their unwillingness to compromise their character. A little later on, Daniel is in one of the highest positions in all of government. He has tremendous influence, tremendous power. With that, no doubt, tremendous privileges and perks. And in that moment, the, some of those who are envious of him convinced the king to put into place a statute that says that there's going to be no prayers offered to any other god for X number of days. They know they can trap Daniel here because Daniel prays at least three times a day. But Daniel's a man who's been making small choices that have prepared him for a big choice, that have prepared him for a big moment. And when the pressure's on, when the tube's getting squeezed, what's on the inside shows up on the outside. 
And so this law is passed, and what's Daniel do? He does the same thing he's been doing. He drops to his knees and prays to his God. He's not going to compromise that just because somebody passed a law. He's brought before the authorities. They're going to throw him in the lion's den, and maybe you're familiar with the story in Daniel 6. The lions suddenly go on a fast. (laughs) They don't eat. They don't eat until Daniel's removed the next day from the lion's den and the other folks are thrown in and then fast is over. (laughs) God honors his character. Doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes people lose their lives as they stand in obedience to God. That is still the right choice to make. Because if God controls the inner man, as he did with Daniel, as he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then the world cannot control the outer man. The ultimate question is the one that Pilate asked in verse 22 of Matthew's gospel, chapter 27. Let me take you back there. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And that is the question that every one of us has to address on a daily basis. What are you going to do with this one who is Jesus, who is called the Christ? Will you trust in him as your Savior? Will you surrender to Him as your Lord? Will you trust Him in the good times and in the hard times? Will you walk in obedience to Him when it makes sense and when it doesn't? What are you going to do with this one called Jesus, who is the Christ? Because if God controls the inner man, the world cannot control the outer man. Let's pray to him together, please. Father, I, I do just thank you that, that you are sovereign over all the circumstances of our life, that the pop quizzes that come into our lives do not take you by surprise. They are not a pop quiz to you. They are part of your divine design. And Father, that you are molding and shaping our lives and our characters even in this, this morning's time of worship, of focusing on your word. And Father, I just, I, I pray, I pray for myself right now. I pray for every person in this room. Father, I, I pray, pray, Father, that you would so move in our lives, that we would so respond to you even in these moments this morning, that you would be in control of the inner man so that the world could never control the outer man. Father, I, I pray very specifically for some in this room this morning. Father, today is the day that you're calling to them. Today is the day you're using even these words this morning to to, to, to call them, Father, to, to a repentance and to a faith. You're calling them to confront their need to decide to do something about Jesus. Father, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of transformation. Today is the day for an eternal change in their destiny. Lord, today you're calling them to turn to turn from self, to turn from sin, to turn from lesser things, to turn from the world, and to turn to you. And Lord, I pray that today, before they leave this room, 
They will walk into a connect room. And they will talk with someone today about surrendering their life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray right now for many, many in this room who name the name of Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Father, I pray today that you would just show us any areas of our life where we have not yielded to your control, any area of our internal life where you are not on the throne, any areas in our outer world that are indicative of something missing, something out of alignment on the inside. Father, would you just graciously make that clear to us right now? As you just continue to sit before the Father, in that attitude, in that posture of prayer, I'm going to direct your attention to some questions in your note-taking guide under that heading, Make It Personal. And these are questions that we've designed not only for a few moments on Sunday morning, but for the moments ahead this week. And I just invite you to scan those very quickly this morning and see if one or two of those get surfaced. The Holy Spirit just brings something to the forefront of your thinking. Maybe he's just identifying an area where there's a slide toward compromise already starting. An area where you've taken a first step and he's calling you back before a bigger slide sets in. Maybe there's some things that you need to do to prepare the inner person. Maybe some spiritual habits that need to be reinforced. Some things that need to be built into your life to prepare you for the pop quizzes that are ahead. Maybe you today need to identify some of the people that can stand with you how you can support and strengthen one another in the days ahead. Maybe you're already thinking about that person that God sent across your path and what you need to do with the word of guidance or warning that they brought to you. Or maybe as you're seated here right now, what your takeaway is this morning is you know God's sending you to somebody else. He's sending you to come alongside them with a word of caution or correction or maybe encouragement today. And before you leave this room, you need to say, I'll do it. I'll do it in your strength. So I ask you today, what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? As you just continue to sit before him I'm just going to ask you, for some of you today, your next step in in your walk with God includes some physical steps back to a connect room. And I'm just going to invite you, even as I'm talking right now, as the music's playing, you feel free if you need to slide out. Some of our connect team have already slid that way. Maybe you're here and you just say, I need somebody to pray with me about this area of my life, about this, this pop quiz, about this, this, this struggle. Let us pray with you. That's what that team's there for today. Maybe today is the day you need to say, how can I know this Jesus? How can I come to know him as my Savior and my Lord? This team would be delighted to take God's word and show you how you can receive the forgiveness and the healing and the life that is only available in Jesus Christ today. Maybe your next step is to courageously go public in your faith through the waters of baptism. This team will help you get started in doing that. 
Maybe today God's calling you to formalize your relationship with this fellowship, to do life together, to walk with one another as we walk in God-honoring ways. That team is there for you. Before you leave this room, I'm going to invite you to make your way to that Connect room. If you still have a Connect card, you can write on that. We'll be honored to, to pray with you or partner with you. You can drop that in the, uh, the racks there by the exit doors. Our ushers will be by to get those in a few minutes. But as we prepare to walk into this week, I just want to invite you to stand with us right now, if you would. And even in our standing, I'll keep reminding you of the Connect room. But in just a moment, we're going to sing, and then the team's coming back to lead us as we give praise to our God. There's one other word I just need to give to some of you today. And this is a word, honestly, I was sitting over there in the first service and just felt impressed that somebody needed to hear this. And I don't know, maybe that somebody is you today. But when you talk about compromise, some of us are not thinking about right now or tomorrow. We're thinking about something from our past. We're thinking about maybe a compromise that we've made. And if that's you today, here's just a word. I think it's from the Lord. You think if it's from you or not. And that is simply this. It is not too late to become who you might have been. It is not too late for you to become who you might have been. Whatever it has been in your past, that doesn't have to control your future from this point forward. It is not too late for you to become the man, to become the woman that you might have been as you let God rule in the inner person. Let's give him praise for that as we close our worship together. Brian, lead us.